Good morning, and welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, KPMG's podcast series where we interview firm executives and thought leaders, as well as third-party industry luminaries and experts on important global business trends, topics, and leading practices. My name is Stan LaPique, and I lead global research for KPMG's Management Consulting Services Group. And I'm pleased to have with us here today Anne Bothwell. Anne is a member of the U.S. firm, and she's a principal in the advisory group specifically focused on financial management. Anne, thanks for joining us here today on Advice Worth Keeping. topic today is kind of a big one. Obviously, it's no new news that CFOs are increasingly playing an important role in their organization, looking to add more value beyond just cost-cutting, become more of a strategic partner to the executives while still doing their very important day job of things such as managing risk. Maybe first to start out, Ann, what's really the big picture for the CFO today? They've made some great successes over the past few years in reducing costs through things such as labor arbitrage, but that diminishing return these days. They have looked at expanding their capabilities around data and analytics, providing more insights into the organization. Well, where are they at today in general, but also with some of the emerging areas such as process automation and digital labor? Well, you're correct, Stan, that CFOs have been working for quite some time to optimize their finance function, both for insight and analytics, but also for a cost-effective way to do that. Most companies are under pressure to reduce the cost of the finance function and also to improve the analytics that are coming out of it, so it's a double-edged sword. And one of the most exciting things that the firm is seeing is really around the area of digital labor and cognitive automation. Digital labor being more of the back office function, robotic process automation, replacing some of the transaction processing that's being done, maybe cost effectively at the moment offshore, but continuing to be more expensive. And then on the other end of the spectrum, cognitive automation, even trending towards artificial intelligence, really taking advantage of some of the capabilities that are going to be out there to improve the analytic capability of the finance group. It's probably one of the most disruptive things that I've seen in the last 10 years, maybe since we first started seeing wholesale outsourcing or offshoring captive centers. And partly that's because it's come on so quickly that companies are really having to adjust to what this capability is but also because of the strength of what it can do. When we looked at uh, offshoring initially, we were talking about saving the back office something like 15 to 30%. In this case, we're talking about saving the back office about 45 to 75% of their headcount costs. So it's a significant disruptor. So then when we think about some of these more strategic services that these technologies can bring, harnessing analytical horsepower to drive better insights, can you maybe just cite for our a few examples you're seeing of that? There's all sorts of insights, all sorts of ways to point that you could do, I would think, around planning and strategy. It could be looking at customer base or maybe your supplier base and profiling them. Maybe it's around M&A work. What are some of the key areas where you see organizations are having the most success today leveraging these technologies to provide these insights? So it's a good question. I think a lot of companies are very interested in talking about the right hand of the spectrum or the cognitive automation because it's pretty interesting and there's a lot of cool capabilities that are out there or just on the cusp. However, it really isn't where we're seeing the majority of companies actually working right now. There are some interesting opportunities around capital planning, being able to really do scenario planning at a more sophisticated level and have automation that actually learns from the decisions that you make as an organization. But that's really still a little bit in the future. There is the IBM Watsons of the world out there that are doing some very interesting things in that area, but they're still fairly expensive and still fairly involved. Where we're seeing companies spend more time really is on 
the RPA side, the robotic process automation, and the digital hands of the digital labor piece. Though there are some tremendous opportunities there as well, and you mentioned one when you were talking about vendors, capability of actually setting up a vendor master in such a way that it's really rigorous and doesn't let a lot of holes start in the process could have tremendous benefit for a finance function downstream. Because a lot of the times when you see companies having to make correcting entries, it's because of something they did on the front end. If they can get that front end right through a robotic process, then the latter part of the process runs much more smoothly as well, and you see less exceptions. KPMG did an annual research study where we, we talked to a lot of CEOs, and more than ever, the, the CEO wants the CFO to become more strategic and a stronger business partner, and I'm sure every CFO out there wants to do the same. Are the collective things you've just been describing really what's going to enable CFOs to either become strategic or, in most cases, become even more strategic, or are there other elements that need to be brought into that mix, such as having the best talent or something else. But is it really today about really leveraging this technology both for cost reduction, better risk management and risk reduction, but then also to provide strategic insights? It's an interesting point. I mean, I think talent management definitely is an important part of this. The digital labor revolution, if you want to call it that, is going to have impacts on the talent management work and the stream of capabilities as well. For example, if you think about the fact that a lot of the junior accountant positions will be done now from a robot, where does the senior accountant come from? How does the company teach the people that they need to have the more analytic responsibilities further upstream if they don't understand how things are done at the beginning? So I think companies are really going to have to think that through. I also think they're going to have to think through their control structure because although the promise of automation is tremendous, it's also the capability of being hacked or having things go off script in a more dramatic way. You can have one person making one manual mistake that could have impacts further down the line, but if you have a robot set up that suddenly is either hacked or doesn't operate properly, the impact could be much more impactful much more quickly. That's just a reminder that things such as security become even more important. The technology has great potential, but also, as you just highlighted, there's potentially some great risks associated with it as well. That's right, and just differences. I think part of it is that you've planned your organization around manual errors and people making mistakes, either intentionally or on purpose, and now you've got to plan it around a different set of actors, which are automated. So what's the impact on the different delivery models for the finance organization? You mentioned earlier how a lot of F&A groups have saved a lot of money through the use of things such as shared services and outsourcing, labor arbitrage, gaining economies of scale, and also hopefully through those efforts, got more than just cost savings. But obviously, digital labor will certainly impact these delivery models. What do you see happening there, both from the perspective of the user to shared services and outsourcing, but as well as from the side of the provisioner of those services, so for example, a third-party service provider providing finance and accounting outsourcing. Well, it is, as I said before, a significant disruptor. The BPO organizations, the business process outsourcing organizations that do this for their living have really started to take a, a very focused interest in this, building their own platforms or looking at third parties that they can work together with. If you're in India right now, where a lot of the back office operations are for many multinational companies, this is a national conversation because this is a huge industry for them. And if suddenly all those people are no longer needed because they're replaced by robots or process automation, what does that 
mean for the future of their country and for that part of the business. Now, they're taking a fairly innovative approach to it, and a lot of the BPOs really are working on the platforms that they can use to offer their customers optimized processes and take some of the gains themselves as well. If a company has a captive shared service center, they're actually in a pretty good position because they can take as much of the benefit of using automation as they wish to without having to share that with another third-party organization. So we're seeing a lot of the captive shared services organizations really try to pull this into their strategic plan. And then the question is, do they do it themselves or do they get help from a partner or a a third party to make it happen? And I think that if you're in neither of those positions, if you haven't outsourced or offshored your your back office so far, and you're looking at that right now, I had a conversation with a company about this just recently, and they're saying, do we just leapfrog over this idea of offshoring or outsourcing or building a shared service center and instead build a center of excellence around process automation? And I think we would say you should certainly have that be part of your agenda and not go through the step of offshoring or outsourcing and then move to process automation, but have it be part of your strategy up front. Maybe just continue on that thought for a moment. Obviously, we just had a big election in the U.S., and there was a lot of talk in that election about many things involving trade or lack thereof. One was around the idea of looking to limit the ability of organizations to take jobs offshore. A lot of that was around manufacturing, but also it was touched on in the context of services through potentially lowering the number of HV1 visas allowed, raising the minimum salaries for those visas. It sounds like a lot of that could be a somewhat moot discussion if organizations really start to embrace digital labor. So you're not sending your people offshore, you're getting a bot from the internet somewhere. So is it too early to tell on this, or do you think that automation is really going to change the dynamics around the discussion of the global trade and services? I think it is going to impact the discussion. Maybe in the short term, a company could deflect some of the issues around taking jobs offshore by moving to process automation, but that's still not returning jobs. And I think we are headed for probably a fairly significant conversation, both nationally and internationally, about what does this mean? Are we ready for the amount of disruption that this brings? I gave you an example of saying that previously with offshoring, companies were saving 15 to 30% by moving to a captive shared service center or an offshore shared service center. Now we're talking about saving much more in the 40, 50, 60, 70% range. Well, that's at the impact to jobs, whether they're offshore or whether they're employees of that company or whether they're onshore and either third party or employees of those companies. I think that is going to be part of the national conversation coming up here as people realize what the impact is going to be. Yeah, I think that's going to be a huge conversation and one that will be quite tumultuous. Well, maybe to wrap up then, Anne, what should CFOs do when they get off this call? Obviously, they're probably all have been thinking about it, have been dabbling in it, or maybe are doing some significant things with digital labor. But what are some of the things that someone just getting started should focus on? And for those organizations that are a little further into their efforts, what should they be looking at? What I believe is that just as with any optimization effort surrounding finance and accounting, the key needs to be to know what the objectives are. What is it that the optimization effort is trying to accomplish? Is it trying to increase control? Is it trying to decrease risk? Is it trying to reduce cost? Is cost reduction a pretty significant agenda? And how quickly does that need to be done? Some companies are looking forward and saying they've got a group of folks that are going to retire. Maybe they don't want to replace those people. Maybe they want to think about doing things in a process automation way so that they reduce their dependence on manual effort. 
But I think understanding what the objectives are and how quickly they need to be accomplished is still the important first step as with any optimization effort because otherwise, I think companies would tend to talk a lot about what they could do but not maybe take the action that they need to. Some companies are looking at having to do things really quickly. And in that case, there are the tools out there to take advantage of some of this digital labor technology that exists today. But other companies are just looking into the future and maybe they can take a little bit slower approach, see how the technologies are evolving and not necessarily making a huge commitment right now, but putting it as part of their roadmap for the future. Okay, Anne, well, this is a great discussion. Thank you very much for your time today. Great insights. We'd definitely like to get you back again. And one area I'd be interested in talking a little bit more about that you hit on was if you have digital labor taking a lot of the more entry to mid-level positions in an organization, where are you going to get your senior people? If your junior account's a, a software bot, where do you get a senior account? I think that's a very interesting discussion to have, so maybe we can talk about that another time. But thanks again for your time here today. And you can find the links to the items we referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, the URL for that is kpmg.com slash US slash podcast. That's the wrap. Thanks for your participation.